is it? Oh, hey, it's you. for tuning in once again and if you know of someone else a friend someone you love or anyone who can't seem to get to sleep tell them you have a buddy who may be able to help out also if you enjoy the sound of my voice and the content so far you can help support the podcast by following at MelatoneIn across all social media platforms. That's M-E-L-L-A-T-O-N-E-I-N. But I didn't need to tell you that, huh? And if you haven't already, sign up and be a part of the weekly email list for updates on content, future episodes, and more. To listen in. To sleep in. I hope you're having a great week. What's been up? Leave a comment. Let me know how you're doing currently. I, myself, have moved to a new location. Ideally, it's nice and has the potential to work out, but you want to know something. If I had the opportunity to live anywhere I wanted in this big, big world, I'd build a mountain home somewhere in Japan. Maybe you're like myself and have never traveled to Japan before, but I was aimlessly browsing mountains in Japan. You ever heard of Mount Rishiri? I haven't, until just a few hours ago. Mount Rishiri is at the center of Rishiri Island and sits at about 1,721 meters tall. Mount Rishiri, otherwise called Rishiri Fuji, for its striking resemblance to Mount Fuji, 
is a dormant volcano made up of layers of ash and hardened lava. It's been more than 8,500 years since its last eruption and is strongly eroded, so now it's fairly habitable. Besides the steep ridges and other potentially hazardous features, it offers an unobstructed 360-degree view of the ocean at its summit. Noted that this is one of the few mountains in the world that have this. Generally, June to early October is a good window for hiking Mount Rashiri, but during the winter, many people visit Rashiri Island on ski ventures, as Mount Rashiri has a pretty great weather system blowing from Siberia that seems to have created a wonderful snowy atmosphere for skiers. Hmm. It seems like a spectacular place to be a tourist, but to build a home there? Maybe. Maybe not. I'll keep that one on the list. And hey, we could even make a thing out of it. I'd love if you helped me find my perfect mountain home. Would you live on a mountain? Where's the wildest place you would want to build your dream home? If you could do it right now. Okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you a story. Well, this may not be a story that will absolutely blow your mind. What I am hoping is that you will become bored, but enamored enough to stick around and eventually fall asleep. Like that friend that calls you late at night, going on and on and on about something silly that happened that day. So much so, at a point you can only come up with, mm-hmm, or that's crazy, until you fall asleep while they're still talking at that. I'm that friend that will talk your head off and give you a chance to clear your mind and get some sleep for a change. It doesn't hurt to try, right? Before we get to that, let's take a second to read another poem I've come across. Personally, I found his use of language very pleasing, and interestingly enough, he is considered one of China's two most distinguished poets. Li Po, born in the year 702, with tonight's poem, Good Old Moon. 
When I was a boy, I called the moon a white plate of jade. Sometimes it looked like a great mirror hanging in the sky. First came the two legs of the fairy and the cassia tree, but for whom the rabbit kept on pounding medical herbs. I just could not guess. Now the moon is being swallowed by the toad, and the light flickers out leaving darkness all around. I hear that when nine of the burning suns out of the ten were ordered to be shot down by the Emperor Yao, all has since been quiet and peaceful, both for heaven and man. But this eating up of the moon is for me a truly ugly scene, filling me with forebodings, wondering what will come out of it. I enjoyed this poem for two reasons. The first being, it's a poem about the moon. The moon is an incredibly mystifying object to me, and I always like it when a person can pick apart a subject in a very intricate way, using certain ideas and words to construct something beautifully abstract in the hopes that it will be remembered for time to come. I feel like this poem represents Poe's childhood a bit. Being a child, you can remember using your imagination quite a lot. Maybe you were the queen or the king of your imaginary castle. Or maybe you had a favorite toy you would take with you everywhere and go on super fun adventures together all the time. I think as a young boy, Poe had many encounters with the moon and its glory. He would often have the time to sit and observe it and use his imagination as when I was a boy, I called the moon a white plate of jade. Sometimes it looked like a great mirror hanging in the sky. Says to me that he had probably imagined many roles for the moon to play in his younger days. If I'm being candid, I used to compare the bright sun to a giant light bulb and say to myself that our maker must have many good ideas this morning. The use of words here in But For Whom the Rabbit Kept on Pounding Medical Herbs 
just could not guess is astounding. Upon first glance, you have no general idea of what this could be trying to do. That's the beauty of it. You're left with a sense of wonder that only you will be able to appease when you dig deep and analyze certain written bodies of work that move you. That's what I feel is one of poetry's greatest strengths. It pulls you from autopilot and gives you a chance to live inside another earthly perspective in the love for language and ultimately we collect something valuable each time. That's why music is revered as medicine to most individuals. Because not only does music incorporate words, but the melodies and vibrations that form song instrumentals, even alone, can make a person cry or extremely joyful. Life, huh? I hear that nine of the burning suns out of the ten were ordered to be shot down by the Emperor Yao. All has since been quiet and peaceful, both for heaven and man. This, I will say, makes me think that during a period in time, in Yao's reign, there were crippling problems in Po's civilization that affected the lives of everyone around him and could be described with the intensity of ten suns. These hardships would eventually cease to be under the leadership of Yao and all peace would be returned. Or I'll go out on a limb and say, maybe the universe had ten suns way back then, and it was just way too spicy outside, so Yao had ordered them to be shot down, but left one as, I mean, where would we get light? Or heat? I'm laughing a little bit on the inside. I know that's silly. <laughs> Finally. But the eating up of the moon is for me. A truly ugly scene. Filling me with forebodings. Wondering what will come out of it. This took me a bit. Even now. I'm not 100% certain, but perhaps as that bright-eyed young boy, Poe witnessed a lunar eclipse. Some eclipses can stain the moon a red color, and when I saw my first red moon as a kid, I quickly developed a sense of impending doom. That or the moon would blow up. These forebodings I can totally understand. To wonder 
the outcome of it all is natural to us as human beings. Poe takes the English language to create a special imagery in the reader's mind pertaining to one of our world's greatest wonders, the moon. I appreciate that. It's a stretch, but what I'm here to do is talk to you and get you focused on relaxing and subsequently falling asleep. Get comfy, okay? All right. Now, this story is neat because not only was Old Man Otis a seasoned fisherman, he was a seasoned family man as well. It was a brisk, gloomy February morning when Otis got the call from his daughter Trish and her small family traveling from Kodiak Island, Alaska. Dad, Kenny's eighth birthday is coming up and he would love to spend time with his grandpa. Oh, bucko. Sure, sure, I'll cook something wonderful, Otis said, sounding almost out of breath. Dad, are you okay? She heard a thud, and then a still silence. Daddy? Otis let out a huge sigh of relief. Snapper doesn't haul itself, dearie. I taught you that. I'm no spring pigeon either. Trish giggled, and the faint sound of her husband Dave joining her could be heard as well. Daddy, you mean spring chicken? Spring chicken? he replied. The last time I saw a chicken in a dress was back at Selma's. You remember, dearie. You were just the... Dad, Trish interrupted. Knock it off. Dave and Otis shared joint laughter. Okay, okay. Only a couple more hours. Can't wait to see you. Oh, and Kenny wants you to make his favorite. The breaking of glass could be heard on Trisha's end. Someone was about to get in trouble. I didn't do it, Kenny's younger sister Caroline shouted. And we gotta go. Love you, Daddy. Bye. Without another word, the call ended. Otis is left gazing at the pile of snapper lying in his trusty brown fish sack that had tipped over, exposing his catch of the day. This was nothing new to old man Otis, and with a smile, he set his phone by the kitchen sink and began humming part of the chicken dance 
on his way to clean up. He snickered. My little movie star. The old man grabbed at a set of keys belonging to a weathered but sturdy 2003 Dodge pickup and his favorite jean jacket with a small bleach stain on the right cuff. He suited up and walked toward the front when suddenly the noise coming from the patio door, little scratches. Otis turned his attention toward the back. Oh, not now. Shoo. He opened the front door, and with a few sure steps, he shut it behind him. The air was crisp and the sky took on a mystic blue-pink hue as sunrise had only begun. A scene he had admired for many years. This was his home. Otis took a deep, cleansing breath and started for his pickup just a few feet away. Mr. Hemming, hey... Hey, have you seen Moki anywhere? She must have snuck out. A bald, middle-aged African-American male, sporting a green flannel with fisherman overalls and purple tackle box in hand, made up Otis's next-door neighbor and friend of four and a half years, Wallace Albright. Oh, well, maybe that was her at my back door just now, Otis replied. Must have smelled the catch. Wallace smiled and got on one knee, setting his tackle box on the ground in front of him. He opened it. In between an assortment of extra lines, bobbers, hooks, and other small tools, Wallace pulled out a shiny, rainbow-colored fishing lure with a beautiful glow that captivated Otis pretty much instantly. The breeze picked up, and the rustling of nearby trees grew louder. The smell of pine was strong, and fresh. Well, look at that, son. Where'd you get this? Wallace smiled. You remember Carl? Otis shook his head. Carl Peters? A meow filled the brief pause afterward, and Wallace turned his attention to the upstairs window just slightly open. Moki, the ginger tabby, peered down at her owner. This was her favorite spot in the house. Otis slowly lifted his right arm 
and extended his pointer finger toward the window. That be Chinji right there. Such poise for a house cat. Wallace laughed. Maybe she was in the hamper? I never know what to expect with that little thing. Anyhow, I helped Kenny and his kid move out of that house. Boxes and boxes. Even stubbed my toe on that funky doorstep. They seem to like this whole thing. Try it out, Mr. Hemming. The trees rustled again. With appreciation written on his face, Otis accepted the lore. Thanks. We'll see about it maybe tomorrow. Trish and the group are coming. Join us for dinner, if you can make it. Sure. What's on the menu? Wallace replied. Eh. Good question, son. Certainly no snapper soup. If I earned a dollar for every time I fed my girl a bowl of that there, I'd have enough to retire. Twice, remember, Wallace says. The two shared a good laugh, as Moki could be seen swatting at a pest by the window upstairs. She was laser-focused. Okay, Mr. Hemming, I should probably feed Moki. You know, she eats a lot, but she's still so slim and very nimble. I don't know how she does it. Old Otis let out a chuckle. Training with the flies, son, I bet ya. The two shared another moment of laughter as Otis began circling to the driver's side door of his maroon Dodge pickup. Gertrude was her name, and boy did she have a few bumps. But Otis never seemed to mind and loved her all the same. Okay, you be safe, Mr. Hemming. Hopefully I make it in time, but if not, you'll make it, one way or another. Don't worry your head now, Otis interjected. With an honest smile, Wallace nodded his head and signed peace before heading inside. Otis made his way into the driver's seat and shut the door. Staring at his dashboard, he was hesitant for only a moment. He thought to himself, if the cat was inside, who was marking up my back door? His brow furrowed. Otis thought of getting out to check, but knew his daughter, Dave, and the grandchildren 
arrive in only a few hours. He eased out of the driveway and backed onto the road in one easy motion. Otis secured his belt and leisurely started forward. The two-lane road stretched for miles, with trees lining each side as Otis began to make his first smooth left turn. The road was snake-shaped, so he then made a smooth right turn. It was another 600 feet before he made another smooth left turn onto the winding, snake-shaped road. He noticed another car coming from the opposite direction. It was gray, just as the sky was as Otis made a smooth right turn. The air was chilly, with a cool breeze about. Otis enjoyed every second of winter. He thought briefly of his sledding days as a child, as he made a smooth left turn. The snake-like road began to straighten after what seemed to be another 600 feet. There was a stoplight, which went from yellow to red bringing old Gertrude to a halt. The family market could be seen from where Otis had stopped. Only another few hundred feet. The light is now green. He signaled a right turn as the entrance to the shopping center was just up ahead. Making a sharp right, that's when all of a sudden Easing onto the brake, he noticed a woman pushing a grocery cart in the crosswalk ahead of him. Her jacket was buttoned and pink. Her hair was pale blonde. Passing by with leisure in her steps, one foot after the other, as Otis slowly etched past her, the parking lot suggested not many people were shopping at the time. Otis cracked a smile, knowing this was a good opportunity. Pulling Gertrude into the nearest space, he put her in park and reached for his bags on the passenger side floor. A light rain began to fall clutching one worn green grocery bag in his right hand, Otis stepped out of the truck. The shopping center was relatively small in size, but was home to the family market, a great community food shop owned by locals. Old Otis's verbally trademarked, infamous snapper soup consisted of herbs and spices that were produced by this very place. Everyone was friendly, and around the corner was where the cool kids hung out, 
or just families having a nice afternoon. Nelly's Natural Bar and Arcade, where the name is just a little cheesier than the main dish. The rain began to pick up. The clouds were still. The street became glossy and burnished by many drops falling from the sky. A car passed. The sloshing of rain underneath tires was loud and distinct. Otis began walking towards the market. Seniors 10% off with special email code was written across a bright red banner just over the doorway. This was a way to keep the relationship strong between the store and the commoners. Sometimes the not-so-commoners as well. As Otis took a step through the sliding door, he was greeted by the cashier. Welcome to the family market. 10% off for seniors with our email code today. He said with a sincere smile that would tell anyone, Hey, I like working here. Otis paused just a few feet beyond the register. He turned his head, squinting subsequently at what appeared to be Cliff, written in purple marker. What's that? Otis says, cupping at his right ear. 10% off with our email code. Guaranteed to seniors today, sir. Otis smiled and nodded his head. Ah, unlucky for me, son. I don't have it today. Cliff looked to his left as to see if anyone was heading his direction. He printed a small sheet of blank receipt paper and ripped it from the terminal. Using a pen neatly placed beside a half-empty mug of black coffee, Cliff took a moment to scratch something along the paper. Here, this should help you, Cliff said as he folded the tiny paper in half and handed it to Otis. Otis slightly unfolded the paper and could see what was written inside. He chuckled. Thank you, young man. Cliff took a small sip of coffee and smiled, setting his mug down again. There was a loud crash on the furthest side of the store, followed by an announcement. Hey, Kent Carroll to the patch. Need two more. A third, Mr. Marvin, would be great. Just keep the ponies off him. Thanks. Cliff laughed profusely. This was obviously an inside joke between the employees, and a good one at that. Otis couldn't make anything of what was said, but... He seemed amused nonetheless. 
Could you remind me where to find the seafood fry? He asked. Cliff's demeanor took on a sudden seriousness. Teddy, get over here, please. An employee nearby came walking over in a huff. It's Theo, for God's sake. The store was moderately quiet, with few shoppers roaming about. 80s alternative rock could be heard playing softly overhead. And Cliff had taken another sip of coffee just now. Okay, okay. Please show this man to the seafood fry. Theo seemed confused. The what? Aisle six, Martha. I mean, Theo, of course. Cliff took another sip of his black coffee and set the mug down again. Otis enjoyed the banter between these two seemingly good co-workers, but knew he was running out of time. Okay, this way, sir, Theo said. Otis looked up to where a large number six was visible, between five, seven, from one up to eight. They began walking. Thanks, son, Otis said, clutching at his shopping bag. You're welcome, said Cliff and Theo simultaneously. This prompted a look of suspicion on the face of Theo as him and Otis began traveling to aisle six. Left foot, right foot, left foot, one foot after another, passing aisle three. A little boy and his sister were running, running carelessly up and down aisle three. Only a short time before mom protested and reached to gather her children. Left foot, right foot, left foot, one foot after the other, passing aisle five, one foot after the other, as they turned the corner of aisle six. There was a man looking at panko crumbs, and to the right, was the space reserved for boxes of Shelly Shell's seafood fry. Unfortunately, there weren't any, none that Otis or Theo could see. Theo held his breath for a second before coming up with the only thing he could at the time. Um... Otis noticed a vibration by his right hip. It was his cell phone, and most likely Trish, he thought. Theo assured he would be right back, to which Otis reached into his jacket pocket and grabbed his cell phone. He answered the call. Hello? Marching band music began to play through the speaker 
Congratulations, you've been randomly selected for a chance to win up to $10,000. Please stay on the line and we will take you through everything you need to know to win up to 10000 Otis hung up and tucked the phone back into his pocket. A few minutes of wandering between the tuna and the olive oils went by and no sign of Theo just yet. Otis began to worry a little. The phone began vibrating again as more people entered the store, noticeably. Thinking of all the recent telemarketing calls, Otis was hesitant to answer, but thought of the chance it could be his daughter. He grabbed his cell phone once more, and answered the call. Theo appeared, walking around the corner of aisle six with a concerned look. Hello? Daddy? It was Trish. Ladybug, how are ya? Are you close? Otis heard shuffling. Yeah, we're... We're... Caroline, wait for Daddy. Hey, we're about an hour away. The rental is pretty cozy, and I was thinking... Maybe we could take Candy out to the lake and teach him to fish this year. Theo waved his hand as politely as he could in an attempt to get old Otis's attention. Apparently, he had something to say. Deary... If you think he's ready, I'll show him. He'll love fishing. I'll teach him the hemming way. I'm at the store gathering food. Let me know when you're arriving. Another announcement sounded overhead, but it wasn't clear. See you soon, Daddy. The call ended. Otis turned to Theo, who was now occupied with neighboring boxes of macaroni. Any luck? Theo turned his head. That concerned look was still there. I'm sorry, sir, but as of right now, we are out of Shelley's seafood mix. Ah, Otis exclaimed. Now I'm not sure what I will make for my grandchildren. They're coming from Alaska. Another shopper appeared from around the corner, stopping for panko crumbs. Well, if it's kids, we may have something in aisle seven, Theo said. Otis was visibly interested. The two began walking to aisle seven, the frozen-slash-refrigerated section. Turning the corner, they were met with a strong smell. A smelly smell. The smell of pitcheline olives. On the floor, somebody had knocked over a jar, and no one reported or seemed to notice. 
Theo wasn't amused by this. He groaned and mumbled something under his breath. Passing by the frozen treats, waffles, pot pies, jalapeno poppers, amongst other things, they arrived at the second-to-last store, where Theo's recommendation was supposedly kept. Introducing Playful Polly's Pizza Kit, a 10-inch pizza box made up of blue and yellow squiggly patterns and shapes and a silly-looking dog-like character illustrated on the front. Pepperoni, sausage, cheese, or make-your-own combination. I have to clean that up but kids really like this product. I guess it's the box, Theo said, looking back at the mess of olives someone had made on the aisle floor. Otis turned his head to Theo. The what? He chuckled. I guess it's the box. The box grabs your attention. Otis took a quick glance at the price. Each sold for $13.99. I like your pitch, but the box isn't what I'm paying for, son. You can't eat those. Theo chuckled again, this time a bit nervously. I'm only kidding, Otis assured him. I'll take your suggestion. As he began opening the freezer door, Otis briefly thought of his grandchildren. He smiled, grabbing a Polly's Pizza Kit three-cheese pepperoni and slipping it inside his green shopping bag. The door shut with a soft, cold puff of air. Theo had his attention set on a nearby window. Drops pelted the glass as the rainfall from before grew heavier. Okay, I think I'm ready, Otis said. Theo turned to him with a look that suggested he had broken out of some type of trance just now. You all right there? Theo nodded his head and gave a brief thumbs up. It was obvious this young man was the odd one out, but Otis seemed to approve of his awkwardness. I've still got to clean that up, he said, rather deflated. But you can take that to Cliff. Otis smiled. When you get to be my age... You realize time truly never stops. Time is everything from the moment we're born. Spend the most time being yourself and loving yourself, son. Love every day and everyone that loves you back. Because that's what it's all about. Theo stood as stiff as a plank. A tear rolled down his cheek. 
He was moved by the old man's words. Thank you, sir, he said with his sight to the floor. A customer had entered aisle seven and passed by. Good luck, son. I'm rooting for you, Otis assured him. He extended his hand forward, and the two shook hands before Theo went on his way to take care of the spill. As Otis left aisle seven, he thought of his grandchildren again. The first time Caroline had snapper soup, she didn't like it. It was only until she saw her big brother Kenny enjoying some that she decided she enjoyed it too. Left foot, right foot, left foot, one foot after the other, passing aisle six, just moving along with a light 60s tune playing overhead. Aisle five, four, keeping her calm pace as he passed aisle three, and two, aisle one. Otis could see a line of four people at the register, one of which looked like she had just finished her transaction. As he drew closer to check out, more customers entered through the sliding door. The raindrops falling against solid ground grew louder as the sliding door remained open and slowly shut. The main floor was a little damp from wet footprints. Otis with his green shopping bag and one item in hand got in line. Given the weather change, there were more people here than he expected, but it didn't matter now. There was a woman standing in front of Otis with a blue carrying basket that was about full. Her head turned to the side, looking through the sliding door out into the rain. She had a look similar to Theo, almost as if rainfall itself was one big hypnosis routine. She came to then casually check behind her when she noticed old Otis standing there with one item, also looking out into the rain. Sir, did you want to go ahead of me? She asked. Otis looked to the woman. Oh, that's okay, dearie. The woman insisted. No, no, you can go ahead. You only have one thing. It's okay. She took a few steps back, allowing space for Otis to move up. He stepped forward and took her spot in line. With a smile and a thank you, he looked back toward the register where another customer had just finished paying. 
The next customer in line didn't seem to have many items, but made a bit of small talk with Cliff, the cashier. Otis was next in line and found himself preoccupied by the sound and sight of the rain crashing to the ground outside yet again. Thank you. Next up. Ah, hello, sir, said Cliff with the same gleeful yet sober tone as before. I can see Tina wasn't much help. Sorry about that. Just this today? Otis's eyes glazed over. He looked at Cliff with disapproval, and it was not hidden. Cliff could pick up on this sudden change in the old man's persona. 1477. Is everything all right, sir? Otis reached into his jacket pocket and grabbed a worn $20 bill. He handed it to Cliff. I don't like bullies, son. Lighten up on him. Cliff was expressionless, but he understood what old man Otis was trying to say. With his head down, counting change, he gathers $5.23 and hands it to Otis. You're right, sir. 100%. I couldn't tell it was that serious, but... We never do until we do, the old man interjected. The rain had died down a little, and the sun was hidden behind an army of clouds. Otis began to wonder if Trish and the others were all right, but decided not to check until he made it to Gertrude, who, by the way, got a great wash. Cliff took a sip of coffee. Perhaps this was a new cup. The rainfall grew lighter and lighter as another shopper had entered the store. A father and one child. Have a fantastic day, the old man said with a smile as he started toward the exit. You too, sir. Thanks for stopping by, sir, Cliff beamed. He leisurely made his way to the sliding door and out of the market. The sun had peeked through clouds that were far away. Otis, welcomed by a light drizzle, began heading back to his pickup. Left foot, right foot, left foot, one foot after the other, to his truck, greeted by the many light raindrops falling from the sky. As more shoppers were seen pulling in, Otis had made it. He smiled to himself, knowing he had avoided what could have been a longer line. Opening the driver door, he set his grocery bag on the passenger seat 
and slowly inched his way inside before closing it. He took a breath. Once settled, Otis reached into his chest pocket for his cell phone. Raindrops were still light and plentiful. He dialed the number for Ladybug and was surprised. It had gone to voicemail. The old man knew not to make assumptions, but as a father, unconsciously, he worried a little. He took another breath before summoning his keys and starting the truck. The rain was no more. Turning left out of the space, Otis could see clouds parted by sunshine, a small rainbow, Mother Nature's way of spoiling her children after a good scolding, a treat for the eyes as he turned sharply left out onto the road. The light was green, and it was maybe 600 feet until he made that smooth right turn on the winding road, traveling, thinking about his family coming to visit, making a smooth left turn past a silver hatchback headed the opposite way. Otis tried to turn on the radio, but soon remembered he needed another, because this one didn't work. No time for that now as he made a smooth right turn, followed by a left turn onto his street. The old Kenny house had been repainted from a pale yellow to grayish blue that Otis liked better. Under a somewhat cloudy sky, he drove past as the sun continued to climb slowly pulling into his driveway. He parked Gertrude and got out, not forgetting his bag and keys behind him. The old man started to wonder. The sound of scratches from before. If Moki was inside, was it a raccoon? Moki would sometimes come by and ask for fish. He entered the house just as the breeze picked up and shut the door. It was quiet and somewhat clean. Otis hung his jacket, setting his keys on the tiny table closest to the window. Although it had been stowed away, the home smelled of red snapper just a little. Anyone who knew and would visit old Otis knew this was usually the case. He made it into the kitchen, placing the pizza kit inside the freezer, taking this chance to see if what was scratching at the back was still there. He undid a small latch and unlocked the door. 
nothing. A pile of sticks lie bare, just a few feet away, but no culprit. The old man chuckled. Maybe it was the cat. Gingy. Otis heard a knock at the door. Three little knocks, to be exact. Oh, coming. So light and distinct. It could only be little Caroline. The momentary bickering of two children grew clearer as the old man made it to the door. He smiled, thus opening it to see the bright young faces of his grandchildren. His heart was warm. Hi, Grandpa, Caroline shouted, darting into his right hip and hugging him tightly. Otis let out a big laugh and picked her up. Hey, Jelly Bean, you're both getting so big. Mr. Birthday Man, I missed you too. Hi, Grandpa, Kenny said, smiling, giving his grandfather a hug. The trunk door of a car slammed. Otis set Caroline down and took a few steps out onto the porch. To the left, carrying a travel bag and a suitcase up to the house, was Dave, with Trish carrying a big bag of her own right behind him. Daddy! Trish yelled with excitement. She put a little more hustle in her step at the sight of her father. The breeze was calm and cool. Otis was so happy they arrived. Trish set her bag down just beyond the gate and ran to her father, giving him a great big squeeze. <laughs> hey there, darling, Otis said. It had been two years since they've gotten together as family. The embrace said it all. Dave stood by and smiled at the reunion. A green-eyed, handsome fellow. Their daughter resembled him closely. Hey, can I get some too? Dave said with open arms. They all laughed together. Kenny stepped onto the porch and Caroline not far behind. Grandpa, can we have pizza? He asked. Pizza, pizza, Caroline happily shouted in agreement with her brother. Old man Otis Hemming smiled big because at that very moment he had everything he needed. Of course you can. Come on in. It feels so good to listen in, to sleep in. Thanks for stopping by.
I've got a good feeling about our friendship, you know. And sometimes a good feeling is all you need. Please share this podcast with anyone you think could use a buddy in the dark. Someone they can rely on when the nights get a little rocky. Sleep on and sleep well, my friend. I'll see you next time.